To another episode of Me and Mr. 80s. I'm Nick, the me, and here's Mr. 80. That gets longer every time. Hey, everybody, it's Daryl. Thanks a lot for joining us again. We have a special guest here at the Magic City Attic Studios. Chris is with us. I love you guys so much. I had to come down and see you. Oh my god, Chris! I'm so excited, Chris. Chris did uh, played the role of Stat Boy on the last show and said he did not want to be mic'd up, and then spent the entire show leaping out of his seat and talking into nothing. And so we said, "All right, for this show, we're going to put a mic in his hands so that he can actually join the conversation." And today we got a great topic: people who stopped being funny. <laughs> And I think we can all agree on who number one is, but before we get into the big lists, I didn't know if anybody had anything they wanted to say just about the general state of stopping being funniness, or if we should just dive in. Oh, we should totally just dive into this one. So number one, right? Eddie? Is Eddie on every? Is Eddie number one for everybody? <laughs> yeah, I would have to say he is. Absolutely. Has there ever been a more spectacular fall from comedy grace? This guy went... He was so up there, and then just, wow, sank like a rock. What the hell happened to Eddie Murphy? He kept saying yes. <laughs> hey, we got Pluto Nash. Oh, sure. Hey, we've got, um, what was the one where he was, uh, Norbit. Oh, sure. You know, he, he just kept saying yes too often. And it makes you wonder why, because it's not like he needed the money. Well, we don't know what his drug habit is. <laughs> He's always been reported to have a fairly good-sized ego. And so when people would bring him pitches, my hunch is that they buttered him up well enough that he would agree to whatever was coming his way. It's possible. And he just did this uh, this interview with Rolling Stone. It was like the it was it came out like a month or so ago. And it was the first extended print interview he had done in in quite a long time. I don't. Did anybody else read the uh, interview with him? Yeah, I couldn't. It was too long. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> well, it just uh, yeah. I was... Well, this is what he says. Okay, he says that his place in film history is already secure. He True. says. This is the gravy years. He says, I am a semi-retired man of leisure who just works when I feel like it. Mm -hmm. If he had been saying all this stuff in 1989, it probably would have excused what had happened. Uh, but he's saying it now. You know, I, th I think, and here, I guess here's another. There was a, a, a big uh, article that was actually written in response to the interview on that new Grantland website, which is affiliated with ESPN. And uh, Bill Simmons had posited that if Eddie Murphy had died in a plane crash right after the release of Coming to America, he would still be considered one of the greatest greatest comedians who ever lived. And the fact, and we would all be sitting around wondering what would twenty more years, yes. what would twenty more years of Eddie have been like? How awesome would that have been? 
And it's an interesting point because we know that 20 more years of Eddie sucked ass. <laughs> Dr. Doolittle, Dr. Doolittle 2, The Adventures of Pluto Nash, I Spy, Shrek and Shrek 2, Dream Girls, Norbit, Meet Dave. <laughs> Meet Dave, that's the Imagine one. Imagine that. <laughs> Vampire in Brooklyn, <laughs> Metro. <laughs> <laughs> that's his gravy years that's his most recent stuff that's his i get to pick and choose what i want to do exactly for my artistic precisely you know it's just like what what happened to the guy well i i think a lot of people who look at these kind of things really you know are, are making are, are looking at one level of it but i think there's another level where you have to look at how much is he getting paid? Where does he get a film at? I mean, maybe he wanted a trip to Florida so he could take his kids to Disneyland. I mean, maybe, you know, he was, you know, wanting to buy a car and that bought him the car. I mean, maybe he was, you know, it was filmed in Switzerland and he always wanted to go to Switzerland. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just there's so many other reasons that you can take this thing other than artistic integrity. Oh, sure, absolutely. That's I really I don't know what his asking price per film is. I would bet that it's probably in the ten million dollar range. He certainly is not one of these guys that's asking for twenty twenty five because oh. he just he doesn't make that much money unless it's a cartoon. Of which he's scheduled to be the voice of Hong Kong Fui. Oh, you know, pre-production. My now. God, Scatman Crothers did that in the cartoon. Uh, what? Wow, that that is we're gonna something get, I've heard about or want to know more. About. Yeah, we're gonna get, we're gonna get Eddie's impression of Scatman Crothers. Yes. Do you find anything about his what his asking price is uh, for movies? It's got to be like around ten mil. Yeah. What's crazy though is that uh, you know back during his his peak years. Um, when he was pretty much the biggest film star in Hollywood, uh, which was in the you know in the mid to to later eighties, uh, he was getting like uh, five million dollars a movie, I think, and that's back when you know like when Bruce Willis signed on for Die Hard and signed the five million dollar contract, and people were like, "Oh my God, I can't believe he's making five million dollars." That, that was like considered a lot of money back then. And so you can almost understand why he would want to cash in now, because back when he was the king of the box office, he wasn't getting, he wasn't getting paid shit, you know, compared to what the kings of the box office get now. And although apparently the economy has changed that somewhat, that you know, the days of the $30 million actor are maybe behind us, there are still a lot of uh, big draw women that are making more than $10 million a picture. I mean, Cameron Diaz is like getting 12 or 13, so. Which explains how. She made that bad teacher movie. <laughs> that had to have been for money. That just had to have been. Uh, Chris, you're looking intently at the screen. I can't tell if you're getting ready to make a point or if you're just reading a book now. <laughs> no, it's a Forbes study on the most overpaid actors and actresses. Yeah, oh, And call. it says that Eddie is uh, uh, first or second on the list. For every $1 that he's paid in salary in recent films, his uh, films have returned an average of $2.70. Um, that's second worst on the list to Drew Barrymore, who is getting 40 cents back for every dollar the studios spend on her. Oh, hmm. Ouch. <clears throat> so even though it says that um, family-friendly comedies like Dr. Doolittle and The Nutty Professor are more than $250 million globally, 
He's uh, getting buzz from Imagine That and Meet Dave. Meet Dave only earned $50 million on a budget of $60 million. Imagine That brought in $22 million on a budget of $55 million. <laughs> I think I think it really what it comes down to, because what you're talking about, Nick, with, you know, I need a paycheck because there's something I want to do or they're shooting someplace I've always wanted to visit. Uh, that is, you know, maybe we shouldn't say artistic integrity, but that really is. That's kind of the sign of a guy who he's making a living, quote unquote, and he really doesn't give a shit about. Yeah. He I, so basically, it, it seems like what we're saying is that Eddie Murphy stopped being funny because he stopped caring about being funny. Yeah. Is that what it comes down to? That's exactly what it sounds like. I mean, it doesn't. It sounds like you know. I, I liked the Shrek movies, and I, it sounds like he's having fun during those. But you know, it doesn't really seem like you know some of the other things. You know, the Pluto Nash and the Norbit, and you know, it, it doesn't really seem like he's doing that out of pure joy. So there's got to be something going on there. You know that you know you, you, there's got to be more to that and it's it's got to be it's got to be the money it's got to be the perks it's got to be you know keeping your name out there and just wanting to be you know a celebrity i mean all those factors have more to do than being funny because there people are people are 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 reviewing it and saying it's not funny there you know people are how do you get tower heists out of all this I mean, there, there's a big budget movie with you know Ben Stiller, who I would say is still, you know, a a, a top box office draw, mm-hmm. even though I have not enjoyed his movies. So how do you, how do you get, you know, a supposed top director in Ratner and a supposed top actor in you know uh, Stiller. Ben Stiller? I mean, and, and a guy who seems to have been phoning it in for a decade <laughs> or more or more. Yeah, How and, does he get that role? And Tower Heist is supposed to be this big return to the old Eddie. You know, it's the first time that Eddie's played a fast talking streetwise guy in like 15 plus years. I have not seen the movie yet, even I though that all know. sounds very promising, because how many times have we heard this is the big return to form and it's not. And I've even heard rumors that he's not in the movie that much, that the trailers make it look like he's in the movie a lot more than he actually is. Yeah. Wasn't Metro, which I think came out in like 90 or something, wasn't that supposed to be the first time where they promoted it as a return to form? Yeah, Metro came out uh, in the 90s. I can't remember exactly what year. I want to say it was somewhere in that 93 to 95 zone. And it was him playing a cop. And I think people thought that it was going to be basically Axel Foley redux. Yeah. And it it wasn't. That's also when he had that weird kind of partial dreadlock haircut. <laughs> 97. I know. Okay. Oh, wow. Is it really that long? I didn't, didn't realize it was that recent. Just after the Nutty Professor. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't understand <laughs> how he's going on this, but I, I, I don't think this is going to be the career resurgence. No, I don't. This is not going to be his Travolta in uh, Pulp Pulp Fiction. Fiction. (laughs) No, probably not. Well, go ahead, Chris. No, but didn't Richard Pryor go through the same kind of thing? 
Richard uh, Pryor didn't stop being funny, but didn't he start just making trashy, crappy, crummy movies? By he did. He did, and that probably could be blamed on his drug habit. Yeah. I mean, Eddie is you know very says that he's not. You know, that he's never been into drugs and never never been a drinker. Sexual hookers. Right, and that and that that's why he's you know still in such good shape. So I mean, I. You know, a guy like Pryor, you can almost understand because he's just got a drug habit that he's trying to support. But a guy like Eddie Murphy, who just stopped giving a shit, it's just, it's really, it's offensive. I don't know why I find it offensive because it's his choice. you want him to be better and you want to pay the movie to, money to see his movies. And then you, if you do, you're just sort of like, wow, fuck me. That was a waste. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, hasn't Eddie always said that he was modeling his career and his profession after Pryor? And I maybe if he sees that you can get away with doing things like Brewster's Millions <laughs> and Critical Condition. Yeah. Hear no evil, see no evil. See no evil, hear no evil, yeah. If you can get away with doing those things at the end of your career and nobody busts you for it, yeah. the toy, that huh? Superman 3, that maybe... Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> maybe he can get away with it, too. Superman 3 as a whole. I mean, my God, what a pile of garbage. Oh, yeah. uh, the toy... I saw the toy in the theater. It was 1982, mm-hmm. uh, so I was nine or ten years old. And if you recall, the kid's name was Bates. And you know, in in high society, a young man is called Master, whatever. And so uh, the butler would come in and say, refer to him as Master Bates, and the crowd would you know go uh, erupt would laugh because it's so <laughs> funny to say Master Bates. I didn't know what it meant. And so every time that Master Bates, because I knew Master, I knew the whole, you know, I, he's just calling him by his name. And so I, <laughs> I was I was at the movie with uh, m- m- the neighbor and her boyfriend, and the boyfriend's sitting next to me. And so I, like, tug on his arm. I'm like, why is everybody laughing? <laughs> and he just looks at me, and he's like, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the funniest thing about the movie. <laughs> yes. The whole time. <laughs> well, plus, any movie where the biggest laugh the audience is getting is some butler saying masturbates. I mean, that pretty much yeah. tells you everything you need to know. So do we keep dwelling on Eddie, or do we move on to some other targets? Because I've got one that... I think we've hit that one. I've got one that really deserves it badly, and that's Dennis Miller. Oh, Dennis Man. Miller, I mean, Dennis Miller, it, it kind of, it, it, this moves beyond apathy into pure cynical evil because he went from being funny to reinventing himself as a conservative pundit just because he knew that's what sold. It was nothing more than trying to extend his career, and it's disgusting. Well, you can kind of draw a parallel between him and Eddie, and they whole you know sell out for sell out for longevity, sell out for perks, and yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Go ahead. He was really, really good. Yeah. Oh hell yeah! Those rants were awesome and entertaining, and insightful, smart, thoughtful. I mean. You could tell that he had put the work in before he had done the routines. Mm-hmm. That his writing was as funny as his delivery. Right. And yep. a lot of times more so. Because I think if you put him up on a stage next to a handful of pretty
pretty good stand-up comedians, you'd wonder what the hell he was doing up there. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he kind of Bill Maher before Bill Maher? Yes. That's a, that's a good way to I put mean, it. And unfortunately, I would much have, rather have loved Dennis Miller to have Bill Maher's career. Mm-hmm. Bill Maher was actually on my list of comedians who have gotten better as they've gotten older. Because I was wondering if you know aging and mellowing is one of these reasons why people stop being funny. But then I thought, well, Bill Maher is completely opposite of that because he's funnier now than he was when he was younger. But anyway, back to back to Miller. And then Monday Night Football comes along. <laughs> and if you wanted to jump the shark moment, it's that. Why do you think? Why do you think that is? Because he was so critically panned for it that that's when he changes his career to survive. Hmm. When he comes out of that is when he starts doing the commentaries and moving into the talk show arena. And he thinks that he has to reinvent himself into a conservative mode to continue to make money because he has taken a gamble that somebody pushed him into that completely and utterly blew up in his face. Through part of his fault, but not really a hell of a lot of his fault. Yeah, I mean, he, they yeah, got they got what they got him. they got what they paid for. They yeah. just they just found out that his type of humor <clears throat> did not play to a large audience. And frankly, I I don't know who thought that it would. I don't know who thought that yeah. that having a guy up there talking about semaphore and you know, making all kinds of crazy off-the-wall references was going to play to a, a crowd that was watching a football game late at night getting progressively more intoxicated. Well, uh, but I think the, their goal was to pull somebody who doesn't normally watch in. But if you're regularly watching PBS instead of Monday Night Football, are you suddenly going to tune into Monday Night Football just because of Dennis Miller? Right. No. <laughs> They made the mistake of pairing him with Dan Fouts. And Dan <laughs> Fouts got none of Dennis Miller's humor. Oh, yeah. Not even a drop. Right. And that was the biggest problem. You had to have, they felt you had to have a football guy in the booth to help Al Michaels out with explaining what's going on. Like somebody ever needs to help Al Michaels explain football, and also because that was always their formula. You know, they always, always the they always game. had at least one guy from the sport in there. Mm-hmm. But what they didn't count on was they needed somebody who got him. They needed a football guy who was smarter. They well, they needed a football guy who got Dennis Miller. Right. Whether that's well, smarter or whether that's the taste or the kind of jokes that he has, whatever they needed to find a better match for him because. The changes between those two when they were talking was so blunt and awkward yeah. that it killed any momentum that Dennis's jokes could have brought on. When did uh, when did his his tenure end with Monday Night Football? Um, it was two thousand that he got hired, and they lasted two seasons. I will say that that's perfect then, because what happened was uh, September eleventh, two thousand one, happens here in the United States. And obviously there's this big wave of, of patriotism and there's this kind of this brief moment where we all feel like we have a common enemy, even though we maybe don't necessarily understand who or what that is. Mm-hmm. And that's when he really starts to make his initial forays into this type of conservative thinking. Now, it starts out 
as just what everybody's doing at the time, where it's just kind of a uh, a pro-American fervor or a a united front kind of a fervor. But then mm-hmm. as that starts to fall away, as time passes, he decides that he's going to continue to carry the torch of the Bush administration and conservatism and all the stuff that was going on. And I believe wholeheartedly that it was cynical and calculated and did not come from within at all. He's always saying that he had some kind of epiphany after the terrorist attacks, and that's what changed him, and I think that's utter bullshit. I think that he he knew that uh, on the radio, if you wanted to host a talk show, the only people that were bringing in ratings were the conservative talk show hosts, and that if he wanted to continue doing television, he needed it, he needed a marketable viewpoint and I, I'm that's that, and that's why he did that. And I don't know how you live with yourself. I don't know how you do that day after day. I don't know how you make something as personal that is supposed to be as personal as your politics. How do you make that punch in a clock? How do you make that your job? I don't know. I don't know how he's able to parse what he thinks and believes and what he says. Now, to equate that somewhere else. It could be that Dennis Miller is essentially Jay Mariotti-ing himself. Um, Jay Mariotti is uh, often known for taking a side simply because it's a side. <laughs> and he wants to get a reaction out of people. Mm-hmm. And whether he believes what he's actually writing or not, or saying or not, is entirely beside the point. His goal is to be an entertainer and to provide something that gets a reaction. And there's a good chance that what Dennis is doing is essentially the same kind of thing in a TV or a radio format. Almost like he's, he's playing a character. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's how he rationalizes it. To like himself. how Larry the Cable Guy is a character. Yeah. Well, I, I would say even more, um, there's a, a comedian, uh, Paul F. Tompkins, and he was doing a character that was almost like, well, okay, almost like Stephen Colbert. Exactly. That's where it's, you know, it's the, um, but he's not doing, but Colbert does it with the, um, with the wink and the nod that you get the joke. So he's, he's the white, he's the right wing, but you know, he's not really Mm -hmm. the right wing. But I think Dennis Miller is the committed role. Oh, he's definitely committed to it. He's, he's, you know, maybe he's even done it long enough that he believes it. I guess it's very personal for me because I mean you you know how much we loved this guy. Yeah. He he was one of our favorites, you know, back from the late eighties into the nineties. We were the ones watching the television show. We, yeah, we were we were the three <laughs> we people, may have been the only people. We were the three people that were watching his talk show and watched it religiously. And uh, to see this happen, I mean, I've I've totally, I've washed my hands of the guy. Yeah. I mean, I tried to follow him because I, I said to myself, I'm open-minded, I might not agree with it, but still it's Dennis Miller and he's going to bring a perspective to it that I will find something in it that I appreciate. And I saw that he was just doing the same old blowhard crap and I was like, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. No originality, no Dennis touch to it, mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing that you could really see behind what was coming out. It's a shame. It's, yeah, it's talent that should be put to good use somewhere else yeah he's he's definitely to me he must have just given up all right well now that our show has stopped being funny <laughs> let's talk about another person who stopped being funny i've i've already talked about a couple on my list anybody else have anybody they want to discuss chris no 
Because you had mentioned Mike Myers, and I did not have him on my list, but you obviously I feel... I saw he was on a, a couple of lists. You feel pretty strongly about Mike Myers, right? I don't feel real strongly about him, but I, it's one of those that you have your moments in time. And I think Mike Myers had his moment in time. And he was never able to quite make that transition over mm-hmm. from this Saturday Night Live, Wayne's World type of humor into something beyond it. And, well, I, and he never was able to really be funny in different areas. His biggest problem is that unlike uh, other comedians who become actors and try to take roles that complement their stage personalities, he would create characters and then build the movies around the characters. And so you never really started thinking of Mike Myers as a type. You know, you never thought of you know his type of comedy because, you know, the, the, the humor that comes out of Wayne is different from the humor that comes out of Austin Powers. And so he kind of painted himself into a corner there because he's continually got to be coming up with these fresh characters. Then you come up with one like the Love Guru that nobody responds to, and did, next did, thing you know... Did anyone here see the Love Guru? I did not. Uh, about 20 minutes of it, and I couldn't take it anymore. Exactly. That's exactly it. We were, in the, we were watching, and we were like, oh, I just have to see this. You know, so many people have talked about it so much. 20 minutes, and I, I just wanted to vomit. It was just pure shit. You know, he starts doing this thing where he greets everyone by saying Marishka Hargate and I'm like oh oh, just wow that was and and he I still think the Shrek movies are really funny and entertaining but I think they're well written and I don't think he's writing them but uh, Love Guru um, So I Married an Axe Murderer uh, I mean so many things that have gone past Wayne's World 54 Anybody see Studio 15? Yeah, he was, he was good in that. He was really good in that. That was a good movie. I liked that movie because I'm, I'm kind of a fan of that era. Um, the Cat in the Hat. Did yeah, not I see did. that. I, I did, and I didn't think it was. I did, too, good. and he was awful. And so, so what was the last funny thing since Wayne's World? That wasn't Shrek? That wasn't Shrek. Well, probably one of the, the last Austin, of the Austin Powers movies. Yeah, probably Goldmember. And even the last one, Goldmember, was the least funny and the least, I think, well-written. Yeah. But so I still if you go to check, the second one, then that's 99. Check me. That's 99. 99. Yeah. So to me, yeah, that's, that's, that's some diminishing returns there. And, and you know, a, a Scottish voice that swears once in a while in a cartoon... Well, and really, any any of these big name guys that uh, that do these cartoons, and then the cartoons make a lot of money, and then that somehow reflects well on the actors, I think is total horseshit. Because, uh, I mean, really, how many people went to go see Shrek because Eddie Eddie Murphy's doing Donkey and Mike Myers is doing Shrek? I mean, I see how maybe in the first movie that gets some butts and seats. But after that, you know, it's a franchise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just uh, you you were talking about the Forbes list and, and all that kind of stuff, and they they just put out their newest list of actors that you get the best return on. And number one on the list was Kristen Stewart from the Twilight movies, which but it, it's a total false equivalency because pe- 
people are going to see those because they're Twilight movies, not because Kristen Stewart is in it. And they've made so much money that even though all of her other films have been flops, it still boosts the, you know, I mean, nobody saw The Runaways. Which was a great movie. I still want to see that, but you know, nobody saw that. Nobody saw Adventureland. Yeah, which was actually a good movie. That was a funny movie. It had the guy they get when they can't get Michael Sarah in it. Um, and so it's it's kind of the you know the same thing with oh. these with these comedians doing the cartoons is you know the Social Network. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I just I'm just teasing him. Uh, oh, Jesse yeah. Eisenberg. There you go. Um, I just call him that because he is kind of the guy that they get when they can't oh, get yeah. Michael Sarah. <laughs> well, that's absolutely true. You know, you can you know plop him in a zombie land, and either one of them could have made that role. But they also weren't paying her a whole lot of money. No. I mean, remember when they put that cast together? They, yeah, they, they didn't no- have to go out and get big names to put that cast together. Yeah, they were no because buzz. you were selling the series and the movies. Yeah, anybody could have played that. Book. Anybody, okay. anybody exactly. could have. I mean, they could have cast Shelley Winters as Bella, and people still would have gone to see the movies. I think Shelley Winters is dead. <laughs> they could have propped up. Out. <laughs> they could have propped up Shelley Winters' corpse and rolled it around on a construction dolly, and people you know, had like text moving her mouth. I love you, Edward. People still would have gone to see the movie. Weekend at Twilight? Yes, Weekend at, <laughs> weekend at Twilight. Team Casket. <laughs> you know, we're funny. We're funnier right now than Michael Myers, Mike Myers has been in like 10 years. Uh, anybody else got uh, somebody, Nick? Um, well, I, I, I was looking on the list here with a very terrible picture of Adam Sandler. And... I'll say that for me, he's actually been on a curve because when I first saw him on Remote Control in the 80s, the MTV uh, TV show, I thought he was horrible, unfunny, untalented, and a piece of crap. And then Billy Madison, I thought was kind of funny. Happy Happy Gilmore, I think is hilarious. And then, you know, he, he's been the slow trajectory back down to where I think he's fucking awful and that Jack and Jill movie which is in theaters now wouldn't I, I would rather you know have my eyes gouged out than watch him you know do that terrible movie so, you know I would think that Adam Sandler does not belong on a list of people who stopped being funny because he was never funny see yeah I, I figured that was probably where I was going to go I may have been the only person who thought in this room that thought Happy Gilmore was great actually no see I equate Adam Sandler a lot with um uh, Will Ferrell, uh, Jim uh-huh. Carrey, um, people who are funny, but only funny at certain times. And when they're funny, they're really funny. When you're asleep. And when they're, <laughs> and when they're not funny, they're really not funny. If you miss it, you miss it a lot. Um, Happy Gilmore is a fantastic movie. I love okay. Happy Gilmore. Uh, wedding Singer. Oh, yeah. He's great go. in That's The Wedding great Singer. Great singer. Great in The Wedding Singer. Waterboy. Oh yeah, see there's. I love okay. what. This is my point. Okay. There you go. Big I Daddy had to be Big Daddy, which you don't expect to be a really good movie. That wasn't. Is actually good. a really pretty good movie, and he's funny in it. Well, I was going to say, even though he's never been funny, he has become increasingly tolerable. Because it used to be watching, like if somebody, you know, if I had to watch an Adam Sandler movie because I was either in a social, well, in a social situation where I had to watch one, mm-hmm. it was like being punched in the nuts for ninety minutes. I mean, it literally was that bad. But he definitely has gotten increasingly t- 
tolerable to where right. I can watch an Adam Sandler movie and feel like, you know, okay, it's a nice, it's, it will kill a couple hours on a Saturday night. 51st States, which is about five years ago. That's, that's another good one. You know, again, it's hit or miss, but you go from 51st States to Spanglish, oh, which or Mr. Deeds. I thought he was bad. Uh, Mr. Deeds, uh, Click. Oh, yeah, that sucked. Uh, I now Click pronounce sucked. you Chuck and Larry. Oh, that's. I mean, that's the thing. You go from highs and lows like that with his career that if you get it and it's right, it's good. And if you don't, God, is it bad. So I, it's one of those that I don't think he's not funny anymore. I just think that he has – there are times when he's funny, and there are a lot of times when he isn't. And you have to strike the right match. Must have something to do with like when he has hemorrhoids and when he doesn't. Or, <laughs> or who his writing partner is. Um, I, I see his credit with uh, Tim Hurley. Yeah, Hurley. Yeah. And so maybe, you know, if he's writing with other people. Um, but yeah, there's, there, there, that was, you know, a good half dozen movies there that I think are really funny. Well, I mean, like, you know, The Wedding Singer and Fifty First Dates, you know, those were definitely, those, those were much more subdued and had much more of the kind of, you know, sweet undertone. I'll bet you it's the writer. To them. He has writing credits on Happy Gilmore, on The Waterboy, on Big Daddy. Does not have writing credits on Wedding Singer. Uh, he, I don't believe, has writing credits on Fifty uh, First Dates. Executive producer, but not writing credits. I actually didn't mind. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, even though apparently it was offensive. So I apologize because I mean I I love the gays, I love the LGBT community, and so I apologize that I liked a film that apparently was insulting to you. Again, didn't love it, but it was okay. <laughs> an executive producer on Chuck and Larry, but not a writer. He's a writer on the next one out, which is You Don't Mess With the Zohan, which oh. sucked. Yes, wow. that, that really did. Other than loudly banging Mrs. Garrett, there wasn't really much reason to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. So right. I, I, I don't know that he's stopped being funny. I, I just don't know that he's ever consistently. What was the one with uh, was the, the um, crap? The movie with the comedians. Oh, Funny People. Funny People, which was not at all funny. No, it was which not. Which I didn't expect it to be. Yeah. I expected it to be the... Uh, what was the movie with Tom Hanks that, that comedians will make fun oh, of? Oh, Punchline. Punchline. Which I've never seen Punchline. I did, oh, I did see Funny People, it. and I will tell you this. If Funny People was about 45 minutes shorter, it would have been a much better movie. It just, the, the length of it, the length of it, and the tone that it took, it took on this kind of, like they're trying to make some big statement, like like they're trying to do the day after. <laughs> and it, it, it just, it, it was not... A good enough movie to to support that. It sort of kind of collapsed under its own pomposity. I think they uh, failed figuring out how to write it, which is why the second half of that movie was um, ridiculous, terrible, and badly done. Who else you got? Or do you have another Sandler comment, Chris? Well, no, actually, I was going to make the equation. Then does that mean that Jim Carrey is no longer funny? Well, was Jim Carrey ever funny to start with? No. I think Liar Liar is an unbelievably funny movie. Agreed. I mean, that I still have seen that, you know, like flipping through the channels and I see parts from that movie and I still laugh my ass off from that. But I'm not sure that he made that movie funny. Oh, oh, I think he did. I think, uh, you know, the lines that he pulled off on that, yeah. Any, I, any movie... I can't think of... 
Any movie that Jim Carrey has been in that's been tolerable has succeeded in spite of Jim Carrey. Outside of Mask. Hmm? Outside of Mask. I never saw a mask. And that, that movie succeeded entirely because of him, because it's the madcap part that he brings to it that makes it. It's, it's the Robin Williams thing. He has to be so far over the top to make that movie work. And he does, and he is, and, and that's the right vehicle for it. Outside of that, I think you're totally right. Uh, I, I can't really, uh, I can't really think of any of the any of his recent I mean, like me, myself, and Irene. Uh, I, I'm not as big a fan of uh, what's the, the one that he did with Jeff Daniels. Dumb and Dumber. I wasn't a fan of that one, although I know so many people who loved that. I thought the Cable Guy was really irritating. Yeah, that was. Fun with Dick and Jane. Fun with Dick and Jane. Uh, Fucking fun with Dick and Jane was not bad. Bruce Almighty. Oh, I did. I I, I, I really thought he did a good job with Bruce How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He was awful. And... Yeah, I didn't like that. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Just no, no. I, that was one of the ones that, that that was on this list that I was looking at as a reference point. And uh, you know, he he's one of those that to me, I don't know how strong he was in in as far as funny to me personally. But I think his stock in uh, in the film business has gone down because mm-hmm. he hasn't had as many hits. And I was another one that was on that list that you mentioned earlier was Will Ferrell, where I can't remember who it was, but someone Twitter bombed him and, and slammed him when he was uh, Kennedy Center Honors, <laughs> and they gave you know their honor, uh, you know, like one of the great comedians was Will Ferrell, and somebody. Who was a you know uh, an elder statement said you know are you fucking kidding me this guy is a talentless hack who's been here for five minutes he's not going to last long at all and I think he's he's been funny I liked him in you know old school um, I liked I even liked him in Land of the Lost he's never bothered me I mean there are people who passionately detest oh, Will Ferrell. Uh, and, I and saw him it, in that uh, the ice skating movie, which he was okay. Uh, but I don't think there's anything that's been uh, that I'd say he's wildly funny in. I mean, he, to me, he's been more of a funny actor than a comedian. Like he's he's not jokey. Mm-hmm. He's just sort of weird and wacky. Well, my favorite movie is his Elf, and in that and in that movie, he's not playing a Will Ferrell character. Because when you think of the Will Ferrell character. You're thinking of the big blowhard who's not self-aware, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what he specializes in. And I think that's the character that irritates a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, in Elf, he's not doing that at all. It's still a comedy, but that's not what he's that's not what he's playing. Yeah, and I think he, you know, I think he has good range as an actor. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that he qualifies on this list either. But I think there's, you know, some people may apparently whoever Twitter bombed him would might agree with that. Another one that keeps coming up on lists that I see, Steve Martin. Well, before we talk about Steve Martin, can we talk about another guy who really deserves it? Ooh. Jay Leno. <laughs> well, that's... He, he, he is so terribly unfunny that I can see the look on your face right now. You're trying to remember if he ever was no, funny. He was an excellent stand-up comedian. Yes, he was. He was a fabulous the, stand-up the, comedian. He was, he was the best stand-up comedian on the planet at one point. Yeah, he was, and then he became Tonight Show host, 
<laughs> and he has watered it down. And Johnny and Carson proved down. you can host the Tonight Show and still be damn funny. Yeah. So why? What? What the hell happened? He completely changed his shtick because he was always he was the basically the godfather of the observational comedian. I mean, pretty much if there had not been a Jay Leno, there would not be a Jerry Seinfeld. You know, yes. they're very similar. And then he gets the Tonight Show, and all of a sudden he tries to be a topical comedian, a political humorist, which was never part of his act. I think he wanted security and a and a you know a weekly paycheck, and he was willing to say, "I don't want to be on the road." You know, fifty-two weeks out of the year. <laughs> Actually, that's not it because he still well, he he still does, that, but he, st- he does it for himself rather than because he needs the money. He's more than got enough money now. Actually, you're not going to believe this, but he doesn't spend his Tonight Show money. He well, I, yeah, he, he lives on the money he makes from the stand-up gigs. That's so it just, it just makes no freaking sense at all. It's it's almost like, but is that is he doing that because he feels bad that he is you know selling his soul for for the paycheck that that Tonight Show brings? I mean, he's basically it's almost like he that's his retirement. I don't know because I mean his stand up act now is basically his Tonight Show monologue. I mean the the Jay Leno that we remember from the eighties is gone. I mean he he doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore. He just and wasn't he wasn't he wasn't he holding on to that? I mean, I thought that you know when he was first jumping into the Tonight Show thing and going out and doing his stand-up act is that the stand-up act was where he was being you know cool and edgy, and then he would come back, you know, and then be you know Mister Family Guy on the Tonight <laughs> Show, and then you know so yeah, at some point you know you kind of figure he'd have to give up one or the other. Which, by the way, would be the Bob Saget theory. Yes, that right. You go out exactly. and do your adult humor and then come back and do Full House. Um, but he only did that for a little while because it was very early on, after he had taken over the Tonight Show, that the audiences started to question the dual sides of Leno. Well, yeah, you can't really expect the people who are. But Leno never worked blue. I mean, well, no, but not 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 blue. But I mean, just a more. More of what he was in the '80s that we, you know, know him as, than what he was doing on the Tonight Show. I thought that that's where he was, you know, being more of himself and being less of the the corporate guy. Okay, the first I just couple to... of years he was still doing his regular stand-up routine, which wasn't particularly blue or adult, but was his regular stand-up routine that was very pre-Seinfeld-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, which was completely sanitized and watered down for the national Tonight Show audience. Um, Which also, it, I guess, he probably isn't the main writer of his own stuff. No, on the Tonight Show anyway. When you have the stable of sixteen writers or something to throw you jokes, but still, if he wanted, if he wanted, if he had any desire to bring '80s stand-up J- Jay Leno to the monologue of the Tonight Show, he would have been able to do that and even if he would have had to play ball in the early days he's so ensconced in it now that he definitely has the sway that he can be doing whatever kind of monologue he wants to do and yet he still chooses to do i mean it's it's unbearable i mean it's like the kind of thing that you would torture people with at abu Ghraib. i mean it's just it's that bad he got the job 
because he was writing his own monologues when he was doing the part-time hosting for Johnny. That wasn't the stable of writers. That was him. That's how he got the job over Letterman in the first place. It was because they were impressed by the way he was able to handle it when he was doing the subs. And at that time, he was writing his own stuff. And, and now he, then and he now became he's the corporate industry. monster. Well, and, you know, uh, in the same way Conan, um, when the whole uh, Conan-Leno thing came about, Conan was trying to do good for the people that he worked, that worked for him, you know, is Leno doing the same thing where he's like, you know, I water myself down, I be, you know, less funny and more middle of the road, I keep this job and I, you know, support, you know, a, a, a cast and crew of, you know, 40, 50 people, you know. That all still would have had a job with a different host. Well, yes, but it, it, they wouldn't have. He gets to keep his job. I don't know. And I mean, he gets to keep them employed. I mean, we we all know how the how the Conan O'Brien Tonight Show experiment ended up. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you if you watch the Tonight Show hosted by Conan, which I did, mm-hmm. uh, he did a, a pretty good job of bringing you know the whole you know what Conan, Conan was about yes. and, and putting it into the into the Tonight Show brand i mean i i think that he probably didn't do it enough that's why the ratings dipped i think he was too different and i i i mean to me uh conan did a good job of bringing what he was doing at late night forward but i still think it was too well i i think it's too edgy for middle america i think that's why he was having trouble being there and maybe if they would have let him go and they would have just said, you know, take five years. Maybe he could have found where that middle ground was and, you know, been able to run with it. But when you had someone who was so good at hitting middle of the road and blah, like Jay Leno was, you know, why not just bring him back? And I, I think it's unfortunate that he's so incredibly good at being middle of the road, but Jay Leno is... Is 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 the vanilla? Is the white bread? Is the you know uh, milk of magnesia for comedy? <laughs> well, I think, it, and if 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 the if Leno's success and Conan's quote you know, air quotes failure as host of the Tonight Show proves anything, in other words, if what Conan was doing fails, but what Leno does is considered a success. I think if it proves anything, it's that the Tonight Show probably should have just been canceled after Carson died. Yeah, because you just you can't replace that guy. Why? Well, because if they'd have done it the other way and Letterman would have taken over that, what's the difference between Letterman hosting the Tonight Show at that point in time and Conan hosting it when he did? Right. Yeah. Letterman would have been doing the same kinds of things for his time. Right. Exactly. That Conan was doing 20 years later. It absolutely breaks my heart that we've got one, two generations of people now that don't know who Johnny Carson was. Mm-hmm. And will never really understand what a treasure he was. Yeah, and what it meant, you know, since we're talking about comedy, what it meant 
to comedians. I mean, you know, I've heard so many podcasts of people talking about what it was to be, you know, on The Tonight Show when Carson was there. You know, the way he nurtured the artist, the way he would set you up to make you be the star of the show, you know, to just lay back and give you that chance to shine. And, you know, you know, you could say, and you know, I've heard this analogy a few times where if you said you're a comedian during the time of, of Johnny Carson and the Tonight Show, they said, oh, that's nice. And you, if you said, I'm a comedian and I've been on the Tonight Show, they're like, oh, my God, you're amazing. You're, who, <laughs> uh, who are you? I need to know you. I need to shake your hand. Uh, what was it like? Who, you know, you weren't really a comedian unless you were on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And, you know, who the fuck cares if you were on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno? Mm-hmm. You know, the, you, it stopped completely when Carson left. And he's never going to, you know, Leno has never been able to pull that back. And, you know, frankly, I don't think Conan would have either. It just died yeah. with him. And, and this touches on something that we've talked about fairly frequently on this podcast, but never really, you know, dug into deeply. And we probably won't again here. But it's how entertainment and you know pop culture has changed to where it no longer bridges generations mm-hmm. and you know i started watching carson in the early 80s which would basically be the last third of of his career so you can almost say that i you know kind of came in on the tail end there mm-hmm. um but even even the acts that got booked on the show you know it was people that were current but it was also, you know, people from, you know, former former times to, you know, come on and, and reminisce. And so it exposed me as a young as a young kid to actors and musicians and, and comedians from another era and gave me an understanding, you know, a recognition of who they were and stuff like that. And everything now is just so, you know, who's who's in the top five, who's got the number one movie, and it's just all, yeah. there's just, there's no, there's no context, there's no perspective, there's yeah. no appreciation for longevity. Man, I sound old. Well, no, but that's true. I mean, you, everything is so much of the moment that you lose, you lose the influence. I mean, you know, it, it, when you have someone, you know, uh, when you have a, I don't know, a Shecky Green or something on a Tonight Show or something, when you have a, um, who's the uh, insult comic? Uh, Don Rickles. Rickles. When you have Rickles on there, and then you have someone, you know, like a Bobby Slayton, you can get where, you know, Slayton came from mm-hmm. because of who he was. And, you, you know, you get that show where now you don't get that. I mean, you just get whoever had the the, the, the top five movie. Who You know, whenever, it's it's, it's not... It's not entertainment, it's promotion. And does that tie into where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame podcast was? That the group honors those influences and goes back and checks out those influences to keep people current on how the process went in the first place. This is a a spot where you'd be able to go back and find comedic or entertainment influences and be able to bridge those gaps. Do you think there's anybody uh, that uh, Amy Poehler wouldn't mind sitting on a couch with Carol Burnett? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that you can go back and find Robert Redford sitting next to Tom Cruise? Uh, you know, you have the ability to be able to show through these programs both sides of it. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't seem to 
resonate as well as it might with, you know, a committee in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that goes back and says, well, yeah, we want to look at this, but we also want to look at how they got there in the first place. Yeah, that's totally true. I mean, there's just that uh, that need for influence. And, you know, uh, and again, again, listening to podcasts and hearing people talk about, you know, how they were, they wanted to be on a show because of somebody, you know, who meant something to them was going to be on that same episode. And, you know, when you, when you take away that, that chance for influence, it, it's not just, you know, it misses the audience and it misses the performers who also aren't getting that chance to maybe run into a Rickles and get to say something, you know, you're my hero and make it to share that little bit of something. Yeah. That's definitely killing pop culture. Wow. Jay so. Leno killed pop culture. He did. Shit. He is. He's he's kind of the devil. I know we kind of went off on a tangent there, but I really do think that the you know the the Johnny Carson era tonight show um you know, just wow. Just I, I, I my, my heart aches sometimes for what today's generations are missing out on by not being able to experience that. And maybe that just. And they won't get to because it's not going to rerun. I mean, so you're never going to see that show because it was, it was too of the moment, you know, you, you can't run, you know, December 12th, 1964, <laughs> you know, an, an episode from there, so no one's going to care. So there pretty much is no way that you're going to know what happened. It, it drives me batshit crazy that as a 10-year-old, you know, yes, I knew who uh, David Letterman was, but I also knew who Sid Caesar was. Mm-hmm. And it, that just doesn't seem to be the way it is anymore. Yeah. Very true. What do you got? Yeah. <sighs> We're just smacking it onto the uh, hour there. Okay. Well, then. Uh, well, you do you you, a, you, do you have a last one. Well, you wanted to you wanted to get into to Steve Martin, which is an interesting one because he's really kind of turned into somewhat of a pompous ass. Yeah, and I, well, I, I was curious if one of if you guys thought that he had you know uh, given you know had had become less funny or something. Well, because he, he, he was really he was kind of in his heyday. He, would you say absurdist? Would that, that would be kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah, he was he was absurdist. Um, he was almost Andy Kaufman esque in that uh, the humor kind of came from the unpredictability. You didn't really know what he was going to be doing, and you know, and sometimes he did humor that seemed very low and you know very base with you know the arrow through the head, and then other times he did uh, stuff like the jerk, where it's almost like a wink, you know, that I'm playing this kind of a character. And and then you know now you've got this whole well I'm a, you know I'm a I'm, I play the banjo and I'm an art collector and I'm a novelist and I'm a playwright and it's like well okay well will you please remove your head from your own ass <laughs> I don't know why something about his bearing offends me it just seems hmm. pompous am I wrong No you're not wrong but I still enjoy him. <laughs> Uh, I, if, if either of you heard his, uh, I listened to the audiobook of his, uh, autobiography. No. It's very entertaining, but he also has these, I can't really believe he's actually remembering 
the exact conversation that he is telling me he had in, you know, 1967 with a guy named Earl and he's, you know, doing a three minute, you know, <laughs> talk of what exactly they said to each other. And you're like, really? Who, who has that kind of memory? So in that case, it was kind of weird, but it was very entertaining. And I just got another audio book by him, which is him reading his, uh, some of the things that were articles for the New Yorker. And there's some really funny bits in there. Some of it was a little hit off, but you know, I still thought he was funny there. Let, let me take you back through what okay. he's actually done. Mm-hmm. And you tell me the last full movie you've seen Steve Martin do. Pink Panther 2. Uh, it starts with a, It's complicated. Oh, so yeah. We saw that one. Did you? Did you're already ahead of me. Uh-huh. Pink uh-huh. Panther 2. No. Traitor. Baby Mama. Saw that one. I saw that one. I don't remember a minute. The original Pink Panther. The, the first Pink Which Panther. I actually did like. I'm <clears throat> Cheaper by the Dozen 2. No. Shop Girl. Um, Read the book. Uh, the first Cheaper by the Dozen. Saw that one. Uh, bringing Down the House. No. Uh, let's see. Novocaine. Saw that. Wasn't that good. Joe Gould's Secret. Nope. Bowfinger. No. Saw that. Didn't think it was as good as other people have said. The Spanish Prisoner. Ooh, that was an excellent drama, though. Okay, now you're it. back to 97. Yeah, that was and that's by, the first uh, one you've actually been excited about. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't a comedy. Sergeant Bilko. No, no. Father of the Bride 2. Yeah, I, I like that. I can't that. remember if I saw that one earlier, the first one. Mixed Nuts. A Simple Twist of Fate. No. Leap of Faith. Oh, that was terrible. What the hell House is that? Sitter. I'm back to 92 no. now. Nope, never saw House Sitter. Grand Canyon. Nope, never Good saw drama. It. Father of the Bride. Yes. Yes. L.A. Story. Yes, terrible. My Blue Heaven. No. Okay? My Blue Heaven is the last full Steve Martin movie I've seen. 1990. <laughs> okay? I've seen parts of the Father of the Bride movies, but I've never actually cared enough to stick around. I thoroughly enjoyed both of them. Um, I've seen part of Cheaper by the Dozen, and yeah. it wasn't worth sticking around for. Um, and I won't watch the Pink Panther movies because it just... There's like really I, no need to remake no, them. I, I, why would I step on Peter Sellers' life like that? I mean, that's just... Well, I, it's like, I, it's I like re-recording. It it's like somebody doing a cover of Electric Ladyland. I mean, what's the point? I, <laughs> yeah. I, it just... Yeah. So I won't So I won't watch those. But that's, you're talking 20 years that I have to go back and find something that I've watched Steve Martin in full. Yeah. You know? And he was good. 20 years ago. <laughs> But that's. Well, I guess I, I, he I'm might totally with you there. I, once he started to be an actor, once Parenthood happened. Oh, Parenthood, there you go. That, that was, was a good one. 87. <laughs> 87. Okay. <laughs> but he's, he, you mentioned two dramas in there that I thought he did a really good job with Grand Canyon and Spanish Prisoner. I understand, but that's what I'm saying. But once he crossed that line, once he stopped being a comedian and became an actor, well, I think that's when his slow slide to not being funny began. I think he was also really good in uh, Roxanne. Uh, Earlier than that. Right, which, but, I'm, but I'm saying... Uh, I, I'm saying, too, he was very... There, there's a lot of stuff when he was a comedian he was very funny in. Parenthood is... I'm sorry, Parenthood is 89. Okay. 
So Roxanne is 87. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is 87. Awesome movie. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is 88. <laughs> All of Me is 84. Three Amigos is 86. Little Shop of Horrors is 86. I mean, there's comedy gold. Man with Two Brains is 83. Mm-hmm. There's comedy gold in the stuff that he was doing when he was a comedian. In Parenthood changed his career. Parenthood was the first real drama that he did. And Parenthood had a very funny side to it, and there was mm-hmm. a lot of still play that he was able to do. And it was kind of marketed as a comedy, but, but it definitely was, had a dramatic center. It was his first serious role that he had taken on. And after he does My Blue Heaven, that's when he does L.A. Story in 91, he does Grand Canyon in 91, and he starts to do the more serious work. And the more serious work he does, the less funny his comedic work is. Yeah, I, I, I guess he, well, I guess in, in the qualifications for this episode, he is qualifying quite well. Um, well, the fact that we have reached the end of the line means that Chevy Chase is going to be off the hook. <laughs> We're just not going to be able to talk about the plummet that uh, Chevy Chase went through. But, oh, well. Well, but he isn't. He's on uh, yeah. community now, and he's been with funnier his, than ever. With his Bruce Jenner nose. Doesn't it not seem that long ago that Vacation came out? <laughs> Just <laughs> or, saying. Or Fletch. Or Fletch. Oh. Those were some classics, man. They were. But yeah. we said we were going to let Chevy be off the hook. So <laughs> any final words about... Don't do a talk show. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know when your funny stops? Do the talk show. When you're hosting yeah. a talk Dennis show. Dennis Miller, Chevy Chase, Jay Leno. Mm-hmm. Yes, talk shows are death. When Martin started to do it as a uh, guest there, it was all over. Yeah. Wow. All right. Shoot us an email, mr80s at rocketmail.com. Uh, visit us on Facebook, Mr80s. Uh, check out our podcast, mr80s.wordpress.com. Uh, in all instances, it's spelled M I S T E R 80 S. And good night, Gail Gordon, wherever you are. <laughs>